We um, are going to be looking again at 1 Corinthians 13 today, something that we have been looking at. So after, over the past several months, I've been doing a series on secrets of marriage. It's taken us now to 1 Corinthians 13 and the absolute necessity of love in marriage. Now, at the same time, we have to accept that love is not just needed for a happy marriage. Love is necessary for absolutely every relationship in your life. You think, well, marriage, talking about marriage again, well, that's not where I'm at right now. I'm single, and uh, that doesn't apply to me. Well, we're talking about love, and love does apply to every single one of us. And even in the context of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul was not talking about marriage specifically in that passage. In that passage, he was talking about love between members of the church. In chapters 12 to 14, there was a lot of strife in the church, a lot of contention over spiritual gifts. And Paul gets to the heart of it there in chapter 13 and talking about love. So certainly love has application to marriage, but also every of the Christian life. In fact, love is the defining characteristic of a Christian. 1 John 4, 7, and 8, which we've looked at before, says everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. An unloving Christian, an unloving Christian, it's a paradox. You can't have an unloving Christian. Christians love. That's what we do. If we are born of God, if we are truly saved, we'll be a loving person. And that will be what others see in us. Now that said, that every Christian loves, every Christian can grow in love. Say, well, I'm a Christian, then I've got this nailed. I don't need to uh, hear about love because I must be loving because I'm a Christian. Well, we all need to excel still more in how we love one another. And I think all of us can find that, especially as we go through characteristics of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, we will find ways that say, okay, I'm not matching up to this. I can do better in honoring the Lord and how I love others. And that may mean your marriage relationship it may mean relationships with family members or coworkers or roommates if you're in college, but we all can grow in our love toward one another. And as you recall in 1 Corinthians 13, we saw that love here is described in a series of verbs, 15 verbs that are given to us to describe, okay, this is what love does. Love is not just something that's out there, ethereal or a feeling. This is something that love does. And It is active. Now, saying it's active doesn't mean it's just external behaviors. Love has to start from the heart and its attitudes. And it starts with your thinking. How we think will affect what we make, which affects how we live. So it has to start in the heart. We're not just talking about externals. Even though we're talking about verbs, and this is what love does, we're talking about something that starts in the heart. And so far, we've looked at two of those descriptions given to us in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, and that's love is patient. So last time we looked how love is patient can be translated as love suffers long. That's literally what it means. It suffers long. It bears up under provocation without complaint. And we are to respond with patience when someone does something against us. We're never to take revenge, including revenge of slander or criticism or gossip. And of course, we looked at how God is the perfect example of this and his amazing long-suffering and patience with us 
especially to think of before we came to Christ and bowed before under his wrath, and he patiently endured until he saved us. So love is patient, and we looked at also love is kind. And love is kind, we looked at, is kindness is actively doing good. Where the first one is somewhat passive, where we suffer long when someone does something against us, kind is actively doing something good for someone else. It responds with acts of compassion and mercy. It's genuinely sympathetic and actually helping other people. The kindness that's spoken of is not only kindness to those who des- you feel like deserve it. We looked at that last time. It's, oh sure, I'm kind to people, my friends, uh, my family, I do kind things to them, but it's to people who are cruel to you, to people who you don't feel don't deserve it, or unlovable people. That's who we need to love. So we looked at two last time, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we'd say, well, there's plenty, and even those first two descriptions for all of us to work on. There's plenty right there uh, for a lifetime of growing in love. But there's 15, and so we're going to look at some more. In fact, we'll look at three more today of descriptions of love given to us. So let's read again 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7, and this beautiful description of love given to us by the Lord. Love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account the wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, So we'll see here, as we mentioned last time, there are a lot of things that love is not that is described here. In fact, we see that there's seven ways that love does not behave. So we looked at the first two, what love is, patient and kind, and now we're going to look at seven ways that love is not, the ways that love doesn't behave. Today we'll only look at three of these seven. And then in the future we'll look at the second four, and then we'll look at this this couplet, not rejoicing in righteousness, rejoicing in the truth, and then finally these four um, superlatives of love in verse 7. But as we look at these, I think it'd be easy to say, well, okay, I knew that. I, I knew that love is not jealous, and love is, doesn't brag, and love is not arrogant. Teach me something new today. Give me something new I don't know. Well, frankly, we may know this. It's living it out. How am I doing? Am I honoring the Lord in this? And we'll talk about direct application as well. Let's look at this first one today. Love is not jealous. Love is not jealous. And jealous literally means here boiling over with jealousy. That's the verb. It's talking about boiling over with jealousy. And love does not do that. In Proverbs It speaks of how jealousy boils over and the intenseness of jealousy. In Proverbs 6.34, jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. And also in Proverbs 27.4, wrath is fierce and anger is a flood, but who can stand before jealousy? If wrath and and anger are, are these big things, jealousy even more so. Who can stand before jealousy? Jealousy rages. Jealousy, as it says here in 1 Corinthians, it boils over. And I like that description. That's a 
very figurative. You can imagine something boiling over. I, when I think of boiling over, I think of my expertise in the kitchen, using the word very lightly. Um, but when you make pasta, cooking pasta, one of the many pasta dishes I make, the only pasta dish I make, I make mac and cheese now and then. <laughs> I do it from the box, don't worry, I'm, I'm doing it from crap. But so, the first step for you who don't know, you boil water. I got that down, I'm boiling the water. And then you dump the pasta shells in. You don't dump the cheese in yet, hold the cheese till later. <laughs> My wife has taught me this. So, when you dump the noodles in, what happens to your boiling water? It stops boiling, right? Because it's a little cooler, it stops boiling. And then, you know, I'm impatient. I want my Kraft mac and cheese. So I keep that thing all the way up. And then, you know, I got things to do. So I put the lid on and I walk away. And what happens after a few minutes? Boiling over. Exactly. Blammo. All over the stove. Every time you got all this... Mess. And you think I learn after a while, you don't do that. You, you've got to be careful after you put the noodles in. The starch, you know, leaches out a little bit of the noodles. It forms this film and the bubbles, and it gets all over the place. But that, that's a good picture for me. When I think of boiling over, I think of how I get pasta, boiling water all over the stove each time. But that's what jealousy is. It boils over like that. And if any of you have done that same mistake, you can visualize then what jealousy does, it boils over. And it was a problem in the church in Corinth. They were having an issue with jealousy there. For, it says in 1 Corinthians 13, or 3, verses 3 and 4, he says, For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? They're just acting like fleshly men, like unsaved people with this jealousy. That's not how Christians act. They were fighting over which leader they were more associated with. And this helps us to understand why jealousy is so incompatible with love. It causes friction. It causes division in the church. Jealousy is displeasure that someone else has more of something than you have. Someone else has more of something than you have, and so it's, at its root, essentially self-seeking. Jealousy has it on itself, and in that way, it is opposite of love. And as we see time and again, as we look at love, love is others-focused. It is caring for others. And so that's why jealousy and love cannot go together. It's like oil and water. Those two do not mix. And we see jealousy throughout the Scriptures, because throughout the scriptures, the story of sinful men and what sinful men have done. Early on, Cain and Abel, the jealousy that Cain had for God's pleasure at Abel's sacrifice and not his own. We see later Joseph's brothers in Genesis, jealous of the father's pleasure and favoritism of Joseph. And one of the most striking examples, I think, of jealousy in looking at the Old Testament is King Saul. King Saul's jealousy is very noteworthy, and I want to look at that a little more in depth here. We see Saul's jealousy with David. And at first, Saul, Saul loved David. Uh, David went and played the harp for him. He calmed his soul, and, but, uh, and even 
He even liked that David went and destroyed Goliath. That was a great victory. But suddenly things turned. And when did it turn? When did Saul start becoming jealous of David? Well, we read here in 1 Samuel 18, verse 6 through 11. It says, It happened as they were coming when David returned from killing the Philistine, that's Goliath, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy and musical instruments. The women sang as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul became very angry, for this saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Now it came about on the next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of the house, while David was playing the harp with his hand as usual. And a spear was in Saul's hand. Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. We see the rage of jealousy that filled Saul's heart. So upset that David was getting all this praise from the people that he was not. And so let's even continue reading here. Now Saul was afraid of David, for the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and appointed him as his commander of a thousand and went out and came in before the David was prospering in all his ways, for the Lord was with him. When Saul saw he was prospering greatly, he dreaded him. Here's one of his commanders. David's one of Saul's commanders, and he's prospering greatly. They're having victories on the battlefield. Now, as the king, how should that make the king feel? He should rejoice, right? What a great thing. One of, my, one of my commanders is having great success. But that was not Saul's response. Saul only thought about his own pride and his own esteem in the eyes of other people. And love is not that way. Love doesn't see things as a threat to self. Love rejoices when other people rejoice. If someone else has a victory, then there is rejoicing and happiness with that. Now, Saul, who had every reason to rejoice along with David, responds with jealousy. And I think what's striking is an example of someone who had every reason to be jealous, but responded with Jealous, free love. And what's surprising about it is that's Saul's son, Jonathan. Saul's son, Jonathan, now had a reason to be jealous of David because he was next in line for the throne. He would have risen up. But instead, with David getting all the praise, now David's in line. So we see with Saul in 1 Samuel 18, 1, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Just saying that he loved him lets us know, okay, this is going to be a jealous, free love. And Jonathan loved him so much, he was willing to sacrifice his own well-being for his love of David. Jonathan, it says in 1 Samuel 19, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. You should be happy, Dad. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. And you saw it and rejoiced. 
Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? That was a big risk for Jonathan to show that he was siding with David against his father. And again, this did not help Jonathan. This worked to his disadvantage. And yet, he loved David enough that he put away jealousy and instead loved David. Later in 1 Samuel 20, we see what, how this plays out. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan, and he said to him, You are a sus, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame, to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore now send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. But Jonathan answered Saul his father and said to him, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. Saul points out to his son this fact that David's ascendancy will cost him the kingdom. And yet Jonathan loved without jealousy. He loved David. And that's the kind of love that 1 Corinthians is speaking of here when it says, love is not jealous. It seeks another's good even if that may cost us something. It rejoices on else. Now, obviously, we see these Old Testament examples, and these are extreme cases, aren't they? Here's a jealousy that tries to kill someone. I'm hoping that has not been the case with any of you, um, that your jealousy has not resulted in trying to pin someone to the wall with a spear. If it is, please talk to me afterwards. (laughs) Just want to talk. Um, But there is cases in our life where I think we do struggle with jealousy, And I think there's a number of ways we can examine our hearts and if they're jealous. First, how do you respond when others get the credit that you believe you deserve? Like say on a work project, you're working on a group project at work and someone else gets all the praise and and you do not. Do you inside boil with jealousy that they're getting the response? How about you look like someone else? You're jealous of how someone else looks. I wish I looked like them. Or what? jealous of their house. I wish I had a house like them. I wish I had a car like them. Do you find those jealous thoughts in your heart? How about when someone else's family does not seem to have the same difficulties that your family faces? I wish I was, had a family that wasn't so difficult. I wish I didn't have this situation. I wish I could have what they had. How about when your spouse's abilities or successes are superior to yours? In marriage, even, there can be a jealousy, a jealousy of your spouse, almost as if you're in competition with your spouse. Now, we should always see our marriages as a team. You're one, two becoming one, and we've looked at that before. It's, there should never be a jealousy between the two, and yet sometimes that does come up. And so the question Are you always content with exactly what God has brought into your life each and every day? Are you fully content with what God has brought into your life? Or are you jealous of what others have? And I think that's something we need to examine our hearts and say, are we free of jealousy in our lives? 
Now, as we look at these truths and these things that love is not, ways that love does not behave, I think it's important that we always remember, okay, what do we then do differently? What do we put on? Scripture often talks about this principle of taking off and putting on. We could take off jealousy, but what do we put on? What should replace jealousy in our hearts? Because if there's just the vacuum there, we try and avoid jealousy and don't start doing this right. We've only gone halfway in our repentance. So what should replace jealousy in our lives? First of all, cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving for everything. Be thankful for everything. Recognize that God has made you exactly the way that he wanted to make you, the way that he knew was best. He's put you in this situation, life situation, that God has determined is best, and he is infinitely wise, and he knows what is best. So when we feel that boiling jealousy inside, remember, God is in control. I need to be thankful for what God has done. And as you long for Thanksgiving and pursue Thanksgiving, remember again, what do I deserve? What do I deserve right now? Well, I deserve God's wrath. I deserve no good thing in myself. And certainly there are things to be thankful for when we remember what we truly deserve. So cultivate an attitude of thank. If you're constantly thinking of ways you are thankful to God, then you're not going to run towards jealousy. You're not going to be thinking that way. So think thankfully. Secondly, in replacing jealousy, set your mind on the welfare of others than on yourself. Care more about others' victories, their happiness, their joy, and their honor than your own. If we're consistently thinking about, you know, how is my wife doing today? What can make her joyful today? Or what about my sister? What about my mom or, or some family member? Are we, are we thinking about others? How about when we come to church? Even coming on a Sunday, it's easy that we can be jealous of other people. We hear about their situations or something. And, but do we come to church with, how, who can I serve? And looking out for someone else's welfare. If you're doing that, you go to those feelings of jealousy. The solution is not to start thinking more lowly of yourself. When I say, here's a couple things to replace, one of them is not, I need to think I'm a jerk and constantly tell people how horrible I am. That's not the secret to a lack of jealousy. The secret is to forget about yourself, to think about others. How can I bless other people? Not to think, "What what a lowly pig am I? Because what are we doing when we think badly of ourselves? We're thinking of ourselves still. We're still getting our eyes on ourselves. I'm just horrible. Focus on other people. How can we encourage them? How can we bless them? And pray for other people. That's a good way to measure how much you're thinking of others. Are your, is your prayer life filled with prayer requests for others? Or is it what's going on in your day, project today, uh, for this conversation I need to have today? It's good to pray for those things. I'm not saying don't, but should, your prayer should be filled with requests for others as well. Love is not jealous. Instead, it has an attitude of thanksgiving and sets the mind on the welfare of others. Secondly, we're going to look at this. Love does not brag. 
to brag, to boast, call attention to oneself. A loving person doesn't feel the need to point out all the good things that he has done. And I'm sure you've been around someone who's boastful before, uh, had someone in your life, I won't ask for hands or names uh, right now, but it's off-putting, isn't it? If you're around someone who's boasting all the time, it is certainly off-putting. You don't like to be around those people. It, it gets old really quick. And I think we can fall into that ourselves, maybe not on a continual basis, but at least occasionally, we want others to know, yeah, I did something here, you know, notice me. And there's a couple modern manifestations, I think, of bragging today that uh, we can find ourselves falling into. Uh, the first one is story topping. And I'm sure you're familiar with this. You've seen this. You explain about something that happened to you. Oh, I you know, was able to go on this vacation. Oh, that's nothing. Let me tell you about the vacation I went on. And you hardly finish your sentence, and they got a more amazing thing. Or even if it's a bad thing, oh, it was a rough morning. My car broke down. I got a flat tire. Oh, well, I got five flat tires the other day. <laughs> tires. You know, how is that? But <laughs> you, you, they can't wait for you to finish because they got a story. And it, maybe it's legitimately true at the five flat tires, but maybe it's legitimately true, this story that they have. And maybe we've done that. Someone's telling a story, and you're just like, all right, wrap it up here because wait till you hear mine. <laughs> wrap this one up. I got a story for you. And it's bringing attention to self. And that's what bragging does. And story topping, I think, happens way too often in our conversations. And I know I've caught myself doing that. The other common manifestation today is the humble brag. You may be familiar with the humble brag. That's where you're sounding humble on the outside, but it in there is like, yeah, I'm being humble. Check this out. Look at, look at how humble I am. It's like, oh, you know... It's so hard. I just had a hard day because I had to take my BMW to the mechanic and just sharing my tough time. And, or, you know, it's, so, it's weird. So many people tell me it's weird that I'm still single. Yeah, um, that's just what they tell me, you know. Uh, the, the, the humble bragging. It's like, okay, I, they're trying to be humble, maybe. I don't know. Um, in Christian circles, I think we can do that as well. I'm just so thankful to the Lord that he gave me this amazing vacation. And here's 200 photos on Facebook to show you how <laughs> thankful to the Lord I am for this. Uh, but it's like, well, are you just trying to show off your vacation? Um, it's so humbling when people tell me how much I've helped them. You know, it's like, wow, it's just humbling to me. I, they just say that I'm a helpful guy. Uh, and God is so good how many people I was able to minister to on that STM trip. Um, wow, God is good. Or, of course, my favorite is that my time in the Word this morning was so good. Hashtag blessed, you know. And <laughs> Sometimes it's not even the words. It's just, you know, the Bible and the beach scene in the background. <laughs> Hashtag, you know, God is good. Um, yes. Social media is, in some ways, almost designed for us to brag. And we, you know, are so interested, okay, what's everybody doing? And we all want to, well, look what I'm doing. Well, look what I'm doing. And we may think, well, I'm not a boastful person. Well, let me take a look at your social media account. Um, 
But we need to check ourselves on that. How easy it is to brag, to boast about ourselves. Proverbs 27.2, let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. We should never be putting ourselves up. When we do that, where is the focus? Again, it's self, isn't it? It's self. How am I being seen by others? And that is so contrary to love. Love thinks about others' welfare. Love thinks about how we're helping others, not what we can do. So what must replace this bragging? What should we put on then if we're to take off bragging? Well, first, find our boast in Christ. That's where our joy should be and not the greatest vacation or what amazing car or how we look. Our boast, our, our glory, our joy should be in the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. We are to boast in the greatness of God. That's not to say, okay, my social media is going to say, I'm boasting in the Lord. Um, it is rejoicing in the Lord. It is finding your joy in him. And Galatians 6:14 also reminds us, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. What do we find our joy and satisfaction in? Is it the esteem of others? Is it the praise of others? Or is our joy and rejoicing in Christ? Is that where we're finding our happiness? And not bragging about Christ, but deflecting all praise to God for what he has done. And that's really, again, uh, each of these points, that reminds me, it points back to the gospel, doesn't it? Recognizing that it's all by God's grace and our joy is to be in him. And if we focus on the gospel, we will not find ourselves being jealous or bragging. So first, replacing bragging, boasting Christ. Secondly, build others up. Work hard on building others up. When you're tempted to speak a word of praise about yourself, say, all right, I need to hit pause here. How can I encourage someone else? What thing can I say to someone else to lift them up? Not flattery. We need to be careful about that. But legitimate, genuine things. What can you find about someone else that you can praise them about? And you think, well, if you knew the people that I knew, uh, not a lot to praise. Um, I have a lot more things about myself to praise than others. Well, if we remember what is God doing in their life, God is doing something in the lives of every single person in here. You can find something to praise. And yet, when we often look at people, what do we do? We see their faults. We see things to criticize, not ways to rejoice. I appreciate this quote by Thomas Brooks. I've mentioned it in the past, but it's such a good reminder. It is sad to consider that saints should have many eyes to behold one another's infirmities, and not one eye to see each other's graces, that they should use spectacles to behold one another's weaknesses rather than looking glasses to behold one another's graces. 
We need to be look carefully for one another's graces, and yet so easily we, we see their faults, see ways to criticize. And yet how much should we see what God is doing in their life? And so check your life. Is that you when you speak with other people, when you post on social media, when you interact? Do you feel the need to build yourself up? I know this is an area I need to repent of. Time and again, it's so easy to slip into something that's going to make me look good in others' eyes because I care way too much about myself. And is, can you say that as well? Are you forgetting about yourself or are you thinking too much on what others think of you? Well, love is not jealous. Love does not brag. We're going to look at one more. Love is not arrogant. Love is not arrogant. And The word for arrogance here literally means puffed up, to have inflated ideas of your own importance. And the connection with the previous quality of love, love does not brag, is evident. Bragging comes from a heart that's arrogant. You must be careful with your words in refusing not to boast or brag. But arrogance is where it starts. It starts in the heart. What is the heart attitude? Is it an attitude of arrogance or of love that considers others? And there's countless things that we can be arrogant of. It's amazing what we can find to be arrogant about. Someone may be your superior in nine of ten ways, but that one way, you're going to be arrogant about that because that's, that's the way you may be better. And this is a problem in the Corinthian church as well. That's why Paul addresses it here. Love is an arrogant The issue again in chapters 12 to 14 was they were arrogant about spiritual gifts. Well, I have this gift. Perhaps it was speaking in tongues for many that was showy. People saw it. And so they were arrogant about that. God has given me this great gift. And even in chapters 12 to 14, Paul, as he's talking about spiritual gifts, uses a word over and over again. And it's used this way throughout the New Testament. But it's the word charisma when he talks about these manifestations of the Spirit in someone's life, and that word is translated as gift. Now, even that word itself should be a reminder to them. All right, if it's a gift, then did I earn it? Should I be arrogant about it? Well, no, it's a gift. Uh, Can we, if someone gives you a gift, can you be arrogant that, hey, aren't I great for having been given this? Well, we shouldn't be. I mean, that doesn't make sense. And Paul's saying here, look, you're arrogant about something that is only just a gift. He used that word five times just in the previous chapter, in chapter 12. And his point is clear. The spiritual ability that you have is a gift from God. And there's no risk about it. And a heart of arrogance forgets that. It forgets that all we have has been given to us by God. And it's not just true of spiritual gifts. It's true of everything. Early in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, he says, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Everything you have is a gift. Everything's been given to you. But you think, well, I'm just a very intelligent person. That's me working hard. Well, did God give you the opportunity to go to school? Did God give you your brain to allow you to learn things? Absolutely. Everything you have. There's nothing that you can claim as your own. James 1.17 reminds us, every good thing 
given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom variation or shifting shadow. Every good gift is from above. Everything we have is a gift from God. So how are we arrogant? How can we possibly be arrogant when we've been given everything we have by God? And a good example of this, I think we find in the Old Testament with David. Uh, This morning, Pastor MacArthur was reading about Solomon and Solomon building the temple and the prayer of dedication for the temple. But before the temple was built, David helped collect from the people all the precious items, the gold and the silver, the precious stones for the building of the temple that Solomon would oversee. Well, the people were generous, and they gave vast amounts of gold and silver. It could have been easy at that point for them to say, look at the gift that we gave and be arrogant about what they have given. But David's prayer here, I think, is subtle in his view. He says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you and from your hand we have given you. For we are sojourners before you and tenants, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided you a house for your holy name. It is from your hand, and all is yours. David recognized, look, we gave to you, Lord, and we may be tempted to be arrogant in that, but the reality is it all came from your hand directly. And that is how we must see things as well, always recognize that even what we do in serving others and giving to the church, anything that we have in this life is a gift from God. And we're reminded here that arrogance and love cannot be together. They cannot come together. And we may find ourselves arrogant in a number of ways. I was reminded some different manifestations of pride and arrogance in our life. Um, Stuart Scott's book, Exemplary Husband, talks about pride, and he lists, I think, 30 different manifestations of pride and arrogance. A few of them stand out to me. We can have, and it's on self so much, is focusing on what we wish we had and don't have. Seeking independence or control. Do you find it hard to work with others? Are you a self-proclaimed perfectionist? Well, that's code for I know how to do everything right and no one else does. Um, Is that your attitude? Do you have an arrogance that you're the only one that can do anything right? Do you maximize other sin and failures and minimize your own? Are you consumed with what others think? And this can even happen at the Bible study level. Well, I don't want to pray out loud because... You know, my prayers maybe don't sound spiritual enough. As if what other people think or them hearing your prayers is what's important when we're praying to the Lord. There's so many ways that we can be just focused on self. 
and what we're doing. And yet we must put these off. We got to take this out of our life. This is not compatible with love. Well, what is? What should then replace the arrogance in our life? First of all, compare yourself to Christ. That'll humble you real quick. I think as people, we're naturally, we naturally like to compare ourselves. Um, It's not how much money I have, it's how much money I have compared to the next person. It's not how smart I am, it's how smart I am compared to someone else. It's not how tall I am, it's how tall I am, uh, it's, I'm just kidding about that, it's, being tall is not something to be arrogant about, it's, <laughs> I'm tall. It's really a hassle in a plane, actually. Um, but we tend to compare ourselves all the time. You know what, at times we'll find ourselves having more than the next person. But if we compare ourselves with Christ and what truly matters... We're never going to be arrogant. If we compare with Christ's compassion, with his love for others, with his holiness, we're going to recognize how far we fall short. So we need to consistently compare ourselves to Christ and not others. Like the Pharisee in Luke 18, God, I thank you I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust adulterers, and even this tax collector. And yet that kind of comparison can creep into us. Secondly, confess your sin. If you're daily confessing your sin before the Lord, then it'll be hard to be arrogant. If you really examine your heart by the light of God's word and confess your sin, it's hard to stand up from that and walk away arrogant. Um, The reality is we have plenty of sin to confess all the time. And not only does scripture say to confess sin to one another, but or to the Lord, but to confess to one another as well. And recognize how you fall short before him. And third, replace arrogance with seeking others' correction. Ask others to point out just ways that you need to grow in Christ-likeness. It's a humbling thing to do that. It's hard to go to someone and say, hey, what have you seen in my life? Where I need to grow. Now, you have to go to someone who's courageous, frankly. You have to go to someone who's going to give you a thoughtful answer, not just say, oh, you're great, all good, don't worry about it. You need to come seriously and at a good time, not between services. Hey, by the way, any sin in my life? No, it's good. Time and go to someone and say, hey, can you help see this? And that will help. We all need to grow in Christ-likeness, and asking others for that will help. Proverbs 15, 12, a scoffer does not love one who reproves him. He will not go to the wise. Is that you? Are you like the scoffer? Do not love the one who reproves. So we look today at three different qualities of love. Love doesn't boil with jealousy. It doesn't brag. It's not puffed up with arrogance. And in all of these, I think, We can see there needs to be an others focus, not a self focused. And that's because love and humility, they form an unbreakable bond. Love and humility just go together. You can't be a loving person and be prideful. You can't be a humble person without loving someone. It's it's that will result in love towards others. And if we're loving, we'll be a humble person. And thinking through this and just the different points here today where it points about 
getting the focus on self and on others reminded me of a quote from C.S. Lewis that I appreciated, and I'm going to just close with this. But uh, C.S. Lewis said this, Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man that he will be what most people call humble today. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all that you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. And that points to what humility is. It points to what love is, not thinking about yourself. And as you go out and throughout the week, where is your focus? Is it on self? Is it on self in the way that I wish I had what others had? Is it on self in the way where I want to tell others the great things I've done? Is it on self that you're arrogant in some way? If it is, then that's not love. Be others-focused, and that will glorify God and show that you're truly a child of him. Let's pray. Father, there is much that we can confess of. When we look at the words that we have said and even thoughts in our minds where we have been arrogant, when we have said words that have lifted ourselves up in the eyes of others, God, we... We Christ, who was the perfect example of humility and love. Lord, please forgive us for, for that sin. And I pray that each person would examine their hearts today. Lord, strive to put off those ungodly qualities, Lord, and put on things that honor you, a thankfulness, a joy for others, a, a focus on Christ. Lord, make us people... Lord, who the world says there's something different about them. The world says, boy, they, they seem to genuinely love one another. Lord, we thank you for your, your love, your patience with us as you continue to work in our lives. May you be honored in our lives, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.